Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take all one word in the promo box and you'll be eligible to win $100 courtesy of my take radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, folks? My Take Radio, episode 139 for Thursday, May 10th, 2012. The intro music you just heard was Fight as One by Bad City, used in the Avengers animated series. You can find it on iTunes and in the Amazon MP3 marketplace. The call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. Our feedback line is 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. All right, we got a lot to discuss. We are supposed to have a guest this week, so we shall see how that goes. Um, right As of right now, um, our guest is supposed to call in around 11.30, 11.45. It's going to be C- former CZW TV champion Drew Gulak. We're going to be talking about his wrestling career as well as the CZW event this weekend that he will be discussing. He's going to be involved in a barbed wire match this weekend, so we're going to talk about that, his career, a little bit about general wrestling, and of course, all the usual topics. We got a lot of housekeeping. I actually have a monologue for this week that I wanted to share with you guys, a couple of other things. I wanted to just uh, take a moment, wish my grandmother a happy birthday. She turns the big 70 today. Um, huge pain in my ass that she is huge pain, but regardless of the fact, you know, it's 70 years on this planet and she's put up with a lot of my issues for the last 12. So, you know, grandma gets a birthday shout out today. Um, housekeeping that we got, we got a lot of things going on, ton of posts this week. Slick got some stuff for infamous two on there. I got some Gamefly Q reviews. DK has some stuff. There's new buried con- there's new buried content. Stuff from Andrea. Go to mytakeradio.com, read the stuff. You guys know the deal. Also, uh, oh. This is how fucked up I am. Thank you, Slick. It is for Prototype 2, not Infamous 2. I am 
uh, a, a, a disheveled mess today for a couple of reasons. But regardless of the fact, yes, it is for Prototype 2, not Infamous 2. So thank you, Slick, for the save as always. As I was saying, we got lots of new content. We are going to be posting a review for Dark Shadows probably after midnight. I am going to talk about it on air. I'm going to talk about the Avengers as well because after midnight, the embargo is over. So I can actually share with you guys my thoughts on Dark Shadows a little bit. And also, you know, hopefully we can post a review tomorrow. It was actually surprisingly fun. We'll, We'll use that as the description. It was surprisingly fun just not to spoil anything for the movie segment. Also, a couple of things. Like I said last week, broke 100,000 views on the site. We're at about 101,000. MTR also was on the front page of Stitcher. We were in the What's Hot section right underneath President Barack Obama, which was amusing for a multitude of reasons. Got a shout-out DK for bringing it to my attention. He actually got the screen cap that I posted on the fan page. So got to thank the crew at Stitcher for acknowledging our hard work. Like I said, if you want to win a $100 gift card courtesy of Stitcher, just make sure to head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take, enter my take in the promo code, and you'll be eligible to win the $100 gift card courtesy of us and Stitcher. Also got some great feedback from the app this week. We are working on a secondary app that's going to handle all the website content, and I've seen some really nice mockups for it. So once it comes together... We will be launching that. More than likely, that is going to be free. We're also going to start distributing our content a little little bit more direct, possibly in a more dedicated magazine format exclusive for tablets. And also, hopefully, we will start doing some, you know, we're going to start doing hopefully some email stuff and some newsletter stuff because a lot of people have been asking if, you know, we have any kind of newsletter or anything for email subscribers Because for some reason, a lot of them seem to follow the site via RSS. So that seems to be the deal with that. Also, this is actually really, really cool. We are actually going to get some real crazy designs, hopefully this week. A buddy of mine came to me with an idea for a design for some MTR swag. And um, it, it it was an awesome concept. It it. You guys are definitely going to get a kick out of it. There's also something coming along for the for the fans of the Buried series. You guys will see that hopefully next week if all goes according to plan. And um, yeah, so that's pretty much the housekeeping for this week. Oh, also, our Beyond the Mic interview with Jamila Rouser from the Girl Gone Geek blog went live this week. It was exclusive to MTR app owners for the last week or so. So make sure you check it out. She runs a really great site. Uh, Tons of geek culture, right down to tattoos, TV shows, movies, video games, anime. Uh, Really awesome chick. We we had a great interview, and I've been getting tons of excellent feedback from a lot of listeners. So do yourselves a favor. Girl Gone Geek blog, check it out. Also got to throw a shout out to the boys at Fight Insight Radio. I actually just finished listening to their show while I was prepping for ours. They actually had an interview with Chael Sonnen, which was awesome, to say the least. He, Chael Sonnen has a book coming out next week, so they were talking about his book and just a different version of Chael Sonnen, which was pretty cool. He was not the character we see, but just more insightful, uh, more eloquent, and, and just real. The, the dude keeps it fucking real. 
Um, so I got to throw those guys a shout out. They were on at nine o'clock, but you can look for them on blog talk radio fight insight radio. Check those guys out as well. Uh, we're going to do some stuff hopefully next week with tap out radio. Uh, we're going to have a behind the mic with uh, Crooklyn from tap out radio next week. So be on the lookout for that. We'll be taping that Wednesday night, probably going to go live the following Wednesday on the site, but app owners and Stitcher subscribers will have access to it first. So that's going to be going down next Wednesday. Also, we got something in the works with Spartacus, the Stars original series, of course, just wrapped up its uh, second season with Vengeance. I mean, Blood and Sand is separate, but its second legit season with uh, Spartacus's character just wrapped and we are working on something with them hopefully it'll come together within the next few hours if it does we'll have a really awesome announcement for you guys that we will be posting on the site and on the fan page so figured i'd throw that little nugget out there now a couple of things for this week's monologue i got a first shit on sirius xm and i figured i'd start with something more humorous versus something not so humorous I want to discuss. Anyway, I've been a long-time SiriusXM subscriber, I'd say probably five or six years, primarily because I support the hard work of the guys at the Opie and Anthony show, Primetime Sam Roberts, E-Rock, Jim Norton, who's awesome, Opie and Anthony, of course. Anyway, I'd been using SiriusXM for a while, and SiriusXM, for some reason... The company that puts out their radios, depending on which company you decide to get a radio from, the radios have a limited shelf life. Usually after a couple of years, when Sirius XM starts making upgrades to their service, those particular radios turn into complete piles of shit. Either they stop working completely, or you're not able to get the best audio for whatever reason. So, and I can confirm this because I had a radio before that I had purchased in Target, and I think after five years, the radio stopped working, completely stopped working. I turned it on, the shit shut off, I was waiting for it to just set itself on fire. So I called them up, and I was like, hey, this piece of shit doesn't work, what's the story? And they're like, yeah, that happens, you know, after a couple of years, you know, I, I think it's time for you guys to, rep- you know, to, for you to replace your radio, we'll, we'll gladly give you a discount on a new one. So, you know, pretty much, it's like, hello, fuck you, bend over, and buy a new radio. So, since I got a newer car recently, my my XM radio stopped working, and it would just drop signal randomly, which is code for stop being a cheap bastard and buy a new radio. But, in the, in the beautiful world of technology we live in, I don't really need to buy a new radio because I could stream Sirius XM through my phone, on the app, or through my iPod. Long story short... I call them up. I'm like, hey, listen, I want to shut off. I want to disconnect my receiver in the car because I don't need it. I'll just stream the the service from your app. So after being kept on hold for an hour, which which almost an hour, which is a a trademark Sirius XM tactic, they transfer me over to retention. And they were like, oh, yeah, you know, we can help you out. Um, But we can offer you a promotion to keep the service for a year. I'm like, look, I just want to cut the radio off, keep my internet rate you know keep sirius xm the app and you know listen to it on the web okay no problem so you pay basically 
$18 a month for Sirius XM. You get a bill every quarter. So they tell me that to keep the online version, you know, to keep online access, I have to pay $15 a month. So they're going to shave off the $3 that I pay for the full service, and I'm paying $15 to listen to my radio on my fucking computer and my phone. Sirius XM can eat my ass. They can toss my salad because that's bullshit. It was it was the, the, the worst stroke job ever. So I told the lady, I'm like, you do realize that's $3 less than me, than my current plan. So I told her, I'm like, look, I'll pass. Oh, were you sure we could offer you another promotion? I don't want shit. Cancel everything. So ladies and gents, as much as it pains me, I canceled that shit. Now I'll just, you know, I'll go and I'll download an episode of, of ONA every day from, from a site, from a torrent or whatever, and just listen to the MP3 at my own pace. Because it's ridiculous. I'm paying SiriusXM $68, and because I want to switch to the internet version, I, I'm still being charged $3 less than I normally pay every month. Fucking garbage. So yeah, fuck those guys. Um, of course, now moving into the... Uh, the somber portion of the programming. Uh, many of you know Sunday is Mother's Day. You know, shout out to all all the hardworking mothers out there that don't lay with their kids inside a tanning bed or um, dip them in hot water because they're possessed by ghosts. You know, all that shit. But like real legit mothers that sacrifice and work hard for their kids. You know, much respect to you guys. Anyway, so Sunday is Mother's Day and. Obviously, those of you that know me personally know, you know, my mom dead and um, it, it, you know, you get the, the, the onslaught of emails, the onslaught of emails. Oh, you know, buy your mom this for Mother's Day, buy your mom an iPad for Mother's Day, buy your mom this, buy your mom that, yada, yada, yada. So I, I usually spend from April 29th at least till Mother's Day unsubscribing from tons of shit that randomly shows up in my inbox just because, you know. I, I have I have uh, terrible anger issues and, you know, uh, unchecked grief. Anyway, so, for the, you know, Slick knows me personally. People that know me personally know I am, uh, I, have a sh- I have a terrible disposition. I have a shitty demeanor, and, I, and I'm not really that pleasant. I'm fairly nice, but not that pleasant. Anyway, get home yesterday, and um, my youngest sister, uh, made a card for Mother's Day. Made a card for Mother's Day for my mother, who was dead. Um, so, you know, my grandmother goes, hey, read this card your sister wrote. So I read this card, and, um, look, I- I'm not the toughest dude in this world. I really am not. And any, and all, all joking aside, I am probably, you know, I'm... What you hear on the radio every week is pretty much an extension of what I am. There's really no character or no persona. This is me all the time. Anyway, I read this card, and any ounce of of, of raw strength I had in my body was gone. Because it was, you know, like, she was like, you know, I miss you, and blah, 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 and, you know, this, that, and the third. It was probably the saddest thing I've ever read in the last 12 months. I've read sad shit, you know, in the news and, but like on a personal note, this is the saddest shit I read. I almost cried. I did. 
just because, you know, it was like my sister, both of my sisters are developmentally disabled. So it's the concept of death is, is very different. You know, my, my older sister, she has autism. So the concept of death to her is, you know, is, is more realistic. My, my younger sister also understands the concept, but never really understands grief. So, you know, I can play Insta Dad all I want. I, I can be angry and full of piss and vinegar. But the fact that you can't help a kid grieve probably is the worst feeling in the world. It is the worst shit, guys. So, the moral of this story is this. And, 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 I, and I don't really share NBC-style fucking feel-good public service announcements, but straight up, if, if, if you're a husband and you got a wife, if you're a, a, a guy that has a mother, value them. Because nobody, nobody will give a fuck about you when they're gone. It, it's, you know, people are going to be like, oh, you know, that's not true. You have family. No. Nobody has, nobody will, get, will, will tolerate your shit like your mom can. Maybe your dad to an extent for those of you that have fathers, but like, like people that will put up that kind of shit, um, yo, it's not, it's not the same. So, you know, come Sunday, just a phone call. If you don't live with them, a hug, if you can, all I'm saying, see, now I'm all getting all emotional and shit. All right, man, let me, let me not fuck around with this anyway. You guys get the idea. You got your mothers, love them and use them in a good way, of course. Don't fucking be assholes to them because when they're gone, you're going to feel like shit. Simple as that. All right. Ten minutes till we get our guest in. And uh, what do we got? We got UFC on Fox. We got Monday Night Raw. We got some MPD numbers to discuss. Um... The fuck else we got here? Yeah, we we got a whole bunch of shit. So let me stop jerking around and hop to it because we don't have much time. So the ultimate fighter this Friday is going to be very, very, very interesting. Um, For those of you that don't really follow the sport, usually the Ultimate Fighter has two coaches. Coaches coach two teams of guys. Guys fight to the finals. Coaches fight on pay-per-view. Simple as that. Easy formula. Uh, One of the worst things that can happen to the show is a coach getting injured. When it comes to the live Ultimate Fighter, a coach getting injured is twice as bad because it's a live show. Anyway, this uh, last Friday's Ultimate Fighter saw Mike Rio from Team Cruz take on Andy Ogle from Team Faber. Andy Ogle secured the victory via rear naked choke in the second round. Solid performance. Team Faber gets another win. Um, Very, very, very cool. Next week, we're going to start getting quarterfinal fights. We got two of them. James Vick taking on Joe Proctor and Justin Lawrence taking on uh, Michael Michael Chesea or Michael Chesa. I'm, I always fuck up the guy's name, but anyway, fi- come to find out this week, 
that Dominic Cruz tore his ACL, which, which we all know, much like GSP, you tear your ACL, your MCL, you're on the shelf. At minimum for 12 months. Anyway, this puts the season in jeopardy, not only because of the coaching, but just because the fighters may have to get a new coach, which as of right now, they're not going to do, but it's one of those things that puts an entire monkey wrench in the entire operation. I'm sure Dana White was bummed, but based off of that, now Uriah Faber is going to be fighting for an interim belt against uh, Henan Barrow, um, who training partner of Jose Aldo. So with that said, you know what to expect. But here's the crazy thing about this entire thing. For Dominic Cruz, an injury like this is is really, really unfortunate just because when you come back from any knee injury, you're never a hundred percent the same. I know I know guys that have hurt torn their ACL. Some guys come back better than before because it's a stronger it's a you know they they take the time to recover and they come back at 100% and, and they're just ready to rock and roll. You know, I, I've, I've hurt my knee on occasions, you know, soft tissue swelling, blah, blah, blah. And usually, you're never 100%. So, for a guy like Dominic Cruz, who has incredible footwork and uses his footwork as, as a huge part of his offense, it's, it's tremendously, tremendously stressful for him, I'm sure. Because he's like, you know, I'm going to come back. I can't just, you know, use my shuffle foot offense, as I like to call it. I got to pretty much relearn everything and, you know, fight safely to not injure myself. So it's it's just a tough break for Cruz. Um, it's a tough break for this season, too, because like I've said, this season's just missing something. Fights are great. Season is lacking something. And they recently announced that we're going to get an international um, Australia versus the UK season. I don't know if that's going to be televised, but I think tryouts will be starting in June, which was the announcement. Tough break for the Ultimate Fighter, guys. Tough break for Dominic Cruz, but that's the scoop. Now, moving along, this past weekend, UFC on Fox, a lot of people were shitting on this card, which is fucking stupid. A lot of people felt that this card was going to be inferior, which it wasn't. Anyway, I just want to pluck a couple of fights out of here. Um, first fight I want to talk about, Pat Barry, LeVar Johnson. I was really, really, really bummed out. Huge Pat Barry fan. Huge fan. And you're probably saying, oh, you know, what, what's so special about Pat Barry? Pat Barry goes in there, and he he gets in the pocket, and he slings leather. That's what he does. I mean, he's starting to work on his ground game, but when that cage door closes and that leg kick is thrown, if it catches your head, you're going to sleep. The guy, the guy's striking is ridiculous. It is extremely, extremely violent, which is awesome. I'm a, I'm a big Pat Barry fan. Lavar Johnson, uh, coming from Strike Force, guy has a, an awesome backstory. You know, he survived a, a drive-by, and you know he went through the long road to recovery, and he's making a name for himself now in the UFC. And he, the guy, the guy has napalm fists. When, when if they touch your chin, you're going to sleep. And Pretty much, he he took it to Pat. They really exchanged in the pocket, and unfortunately, Pat was not the 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 victor in that exchange. But it was still an awesome fight. I'm bummed for Pat Barry. He is, I believe, getting X-rays for what may be a broken hand. I hope not, because you know, once you get a fucking broken hand, you're on the shelf for God knows how long. So 
Speedy recovery to Pat. I'm still a fan. Props to LeVar Johnson. Husamar Palharis took on the uh, Allen the Talent Belcher. I expected Palharis to rip Allen Belcher's leg off and beat him to death with it. But shockingly enough, ladies and gents, that was not the case. Turns out that our, you know, Allen the Talent ended up using the ground game and pounding out Husamar Palharis in round one. It was ridiculous. They had a, an awesome exchange on the ground, at which point Belcher secured uh, full guard and just dropping massive elbows and uh, punches and hammer fists to the point where Palharis was out. TKO victory for Belcher. Very impressive performance by him. Also got to acknowledge um, Louis Gadnot and John Lineker, which were on the prelims. Uh, fantastic fight. Louis Gadnot took the victory. Technical submission guillotine choke in the second round. Just a, an awesome back and forth fight with those guys. They, those guys even got the fight of the night bonus for that reason. Very, very, very impressive. And of course, on the main event side of things, Nick Diaz, not Nick Diaz, excuse me, Nate Diaz and Jim Miller was exactly what you would expect. It was uh, the Stockton slap being used to maximum potential against Jim Miller. Uh, Miller really tried to get in there and engage, but Diaz, tremendous reach, knows how to set up his strikes. And when the fight gets to the ground, that's where it gets really, really treacherous. Uh, Nate Diaz secured the victory with a guillotine choke. It was a, a, it was so smooth and so seamless the way he transitioned into that choke that you blinked. And the next thing you know, poor Jim Miller is getting choked out without his mouth guard and his tongue is sticking out of his mouth to the point where, you know, had nobody noticed, he probably could have bitten off his own tongue. Some really, really crazy shit. But this victory puts Nate Diaz in contention now for a lightweight title shot against the winner of Edgar and Bendo. So who knows? We may actually see Nate Diaz getting himself a belt. Super, super impressed with his performance. He was he was badass. And Nate Diaz, very happy. You know, you got that, that Stockton mug in there. But you know what? A lot of these guys, a lot of fans, they really shit on the Diaz brothers. And they really get out of pocket being armchair analysts talking about, oh, you know, they're bad for the sport, blah, blah, blah. Look. Guys get into MMA to make it to the big show. When you get to the big show, you have one motivation and one motivation only. Getting a belt. You train, you fight, you go home. That's it. You're not if you make friends along the way, that's great, but the guys are the Diaz brothers are business professionals. They train, they fight, they leave. And you know what? They shake the guy's hand after the fight. They hug the guy. They acknowledge the guy's performance. Those guys know how to switch on, and they know how to switch off. Simple as that. And and, and I respect that. But a, a lot of analysts, you know, and I don't say legit analysts, but guys that sit behind a computer and, and you know, they, they troll the underground forums and all this shit. The fact is that uh, professional athletes that fight professionally should know and be ready to turn that switch on. If you don't have that killer instinct, you're not going to make it. I'm sorry. The Diaz brothers, they got it. They know when to switch it on. They know when to switch it off. Who? They don't go to a press conference? Fuck it. So what? They don't want to be interviewed? Fuck it. Who cares? They, they make people want to see them fight, and that's all that matters. Anyway, fight of the night bonuses. LeVar Johnson, knockout of the night on Pat Barry. 
shedding a tear for that one. Uh, submission of the night went to Nate Diaz. $65,000 bonuses were handed out. As I mentioned last week, Hector Lombard will be meeting Brian Stan in the headline fight for UFC on Fox 4. Dana White's going on record as saying that if Lombard wins, he could find himself challenging for the UFC middleweight title, which has raised quite a few eyebrows because people are saying, oh, you know, this guy comes in, gets one fight, gets a title shot. This guy, 24-fight win streak. Fuck it. That's how you got to look at it. 24-fight win streak or 25-fight at this point, whatever the case may be. Win streak of plus of over 20 victories. That deserves acknowledgement. Brian Stan had a great performance recently, and he has the potential to go in there and take care of business. He can. He can be. He can play the role of spoiler. But he Lombard has has legit credibility. Guy was a champion in Bellator, comes in, gets his two his one. You know, you want to call it a warm-up fight, fine, which it's not because Brian Stan is not a tomato can, and he gets a title shot. Fuck it. Who cares? But I really am looking forward to that fight. If you've seen Ben's post, Brian Stan was actually a guy that he cited that he'd like to see Lombard fight. So there you have it, folks. Moving right along, Quentin Rampage Jackson is back in the MMA news this week. Uh, Dana White was asked about Rampage's recent desire to want to leave the UFC. And Dana White's pretty much like, you want to leave? Fuck it, leave. Simple as that. You're not happy with us? You don't want to deal with us? The feeling is mutual. And, you know, he addressed Rampage complaining about pay and stuff. I I can do an entire show dedicated to what's right and wrong with Rampage, but you know what? If the dude's not happy, let him go. But a lot of people feel that Rampage has lost his step. I think that Rampage is just... He's enamored with the allure of Hollywood. He likes the fact that, you know, he can make movies, he's marketable, he can make some money without getting punched in the face, without really having a train. There's no harm in that. I I respect that. And he has the, the accomplishments to validate that. But on the same token, you have to look at the fact that you when you're in the UFC, you are in the premier organization, if you want to call it that. And as such, there are certain expectations that you need to meet he hasn't been winning simple as that he hasn't been winning and some people are saying it's based on poor matchups to a degree i can understand but you know what when you're fighting at the at at such an elite level matchups don't mean shit you train you fight you win you go home simple as that moving along vermont approved mma regulation and we still haven't because It went to uh, the legislature this week, earlier this week, and it died. But guess what? It's okay to watch child pornography in New York State. To watch it. To watch child pornography in New York State is okay. But punching someone in the face with a referee and a governing body is not. And you're probably asking yourself, what the fuck is Rich talking about? Do yourselves a favor. Head over to the Facebook fan page. Check out an article shared by the crew at tap snap the MMA recap and you'll understand the the bullshit politics of New York state. And I'm not going to hammer it too much, but I'll say this. The only way MMA will be sanctioned in New York state is by paying off a lot of people. Simple as that. 
the UFC hasn't paid the right amount of lobbyists off. They haven't found the golden number yet. When they find the golden number, the sport will get sanctioned. It's easy as that. People are like, oh, yeah, you know, it's politics, it's politics. The only politics in this country that fucking matter are the politics involving dead presidents, not live ones. Simple as that. Dead presidents make and break this fucking country. Live ones, live politicians don't accomplish shit. Dead presidents get the job done. It's all a matter of how many dead presidents are you going to give to members of the state legislature? Simple as that. And until the UFC gets the right number, it will continue to be shot down. It's fucked up. It's a terrible way to look at it. But this is our country, ladies and gentlemen. It's run by the dollar bill. It's not run by politics. It is run by money. And once people understand that, we can move the fuck on and accept shit for what it is. Next week, we got the Strike Force card, May 19th. Huge, huge, huge night of fights from Strike Force. You got your World Grand Prix, World Heavyweight Grand Prix Finals, five-round fight, Barnett, Cormier. You got the lightweight championship, which is supposed to be Gilbert Melendez and Josh Thompson. Now I'm hearing that Josh Thompson also has a knee injury, so he may be out as well. Uh, light heavyweight special attraction fight, uh, Faye Zhao and Mike Kyle, and Sean Burrell is taking on Chris Spang in a welterweight fight. Prelims are going to be on Showtime Extreme. Jay-Z Cavalcante is taking on Isaac Valley Flag. Virgil Swicker, Carlos Inocente, Gian Viante, and Derek Me, uh, Derek Meeman, Quinn Mulhern, and Yuri Villefort will also be fighting. Those fights are going to be on Showtime Extreme, and that's going to be at 8 o'clock Eastern. The main event is going to be on Showtime and Showtime HD at 10 p.m. Eastern. So throw that on your calendar as well. In some other news, we had to shuffle some MMA stuff around again. MMA Junkie reported that um, Yoshihiro Akiyama got injured and is unable to participate in his fight with Tiago Alves. So CR uh, the Killer is taking his place, which is going to be an awesome fight. Um, CR the Killer, great stand-up. Tremendous, tremendous knockout power. Taking on the Pitbull, who's been on a bit of a roll lately. He's been doing pretty well. Um, he's been 50-50. He's 11-6 and six right now. But I'm really looking forward to this fight. Lots of fireworks. That's going to be happening for um, UFC 149, July 21st in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Jose Aldo's defending his belt against Eric Koch. Shogun, Tiago Silva, Czech Congo, um, Nogueira, Tiago Alves, like I said, CR the Killer and Bisping and Tim Bocek will be on the main card. Slick just informed me that our guest is on line one, so I'm going to bring him on so we can jump right into this interview. Hey, Drew, what's going on? Hello, hey, how are you guys? I'm good, man. How's things with you? Uh, things are busy with me, very busy. I got a big match coming up this weekend, so everything's been really hectic. Oh, yeah, I know you've been doing a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of promotion going on for this match. Of course, uh, you and Danny Havoc locking up, no rope, barbed wire match this Saturday. Super pumped, I'm sure, just because it's going to be, uh, you guys have had a long-standing feud so is the is this the culmination? Is this the end? This is about uh let's see, a year and a half's worth of work, maybe two years worth of work. Yep. And it's uh, it's culminating this Saturday. I'm I'm look I'm looking forward to it. I was you know, I've been of course doing a lot of research for this interview, but you're probably one of the few 
active professional wrestlers I've seen who has a really, really great grasp on social media. I mean, you got your blog, you got Twitter, you got Facebook. Hell, you even have so, some MySpace action going on. Um, Thank did, you. Did you realize just being a, a professional wrestler that that's a social media is the, the wave of the future? Was this something you really just took to, or was it something you realized that you needed in order to get yourself more exposure? At first, it was just something that I took to, just kind of like a social thing between friends. But if you don't take advantage of that as something that you need to get exposure with, you're really missing out on a lot. And I think I think most of the guys right now who are starting to blow up really big, you know, are getting their first big breaks in certain places, do that because of their social media interaction. One, the, the crazy thing about it is that certain wrestlers have a really great understanding of it. You... You 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 have it so well laid out because in in looking at your you know your your blog on on Blogger there's a fine line between your real feelings and you know professional wrestling, which is good. But I also like that there's there's a bit of blur in there, which helps which helps it along. Was that Thank something you consciously yeah, no, decided? It actually is that I try not to have anything that's discernible. You know. It, it, it very much emulates my emotions, so I, I try to let it register through through any any outlet whenever I can to try to connect with people. What made you um, embrace more so the hardcore style? Because not for nothing, a lot of your matches you're very 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 technical. I mean, even the your the, the your submission that you use is is badass. It reminds me of the uh, Daniel Bryan cattle mutilation a little bit. Yeah, it's, uh, let's see, what, what embraced me for this style? It didn't really, you know, it was never something that I was against doing. It was, it was never something that I was opposed to. It, it's actually what drew me into the company Combat Zone Wrestling in the first place. That's what kept me, that's, that's what sparked my interest. That's what I loved about it. And then just having a background in, in amateur wrestling and then falling in love with the British style and learning uh, Yave Lucha Libre style. And, and all the technicalities that go with go with wrestling and learning how to tell stories through that that's what that's what like captured me and like kept me passionate about it and really made me grow as a wrestler so i didn't i didn't really want to be one of those guys who just you know got stuck doing death matches for two years you know ruined my body and just fell off well like, that... i definitely had urges you know being when, when, I, when I was first getting into wrestling, I had urges to like, oh man, but I really want to do this because it's bigger and better and it'll stand out more. But my trainers kept telling me, no, no, you're not ready. Don't do that now. And like, they kept a lid on me for the, for the beginning part. And that kind of that kind of set me on a track to where I am now. How did it feel? I mean, you know, you're, you went, you got into this business at, at roughly the age of 17. You know, how did... How did it feel at, at 17, you know, in 2005, watching just how how far you've come, like looking at it, looking at it now when you wrestled back then, what do you feel has made you more successful along the way? Because wrestling, you know, it's in cycles. Like some guys, they start embracing the art of the promo. Some guys embrace the art of uh, being more technical. Like you were saying, other guys, they go into the, the hardcore element. You know, when when you got into it at seventeen, where did you want to be at the time? I, I didn't know. 
You know, and I think that's a common thing you see with wow. these guys who, who jump into wrestling. Most people don't really know what they want right off the bat. And, you know, even now, like, I, I have goals that I, I haven't achieved. I have goals that I've, I've met. And I have goals that I'm still not, you know, that I'm still not even sure about that I even really want to do. And that, that goes back and forth with not just wrestling, but just life in general. You know, I think that's, that's one thing that a lot of people fail to take into account is that it's, it's a part of something much bigger. Yeah, the the reason I the reason I ask you that is because a lot a lot of guys they get asked in interviews and they're like, oh, well, you know, you got into wrestling at such a run young age. What'd you want to do? And they'll be like, you know, I watch WrestleMania and that's what I wanted to do. Or you know, I saw my my first hardcore match and you know that was the catalyst. But you're one of yeah. probably the first few guys that was like, I got into it and I didn't know. That's that's just the honest truth. You know, I, I really I really didn't know. I knew. I wanted to work for Combat Zone Wrestling at the time because that's that's what you know that's where that's what really hooked me and kept me. Um, I, I knew that I wanted to get trained the right way by like by people who knew what they were doing, and I wanted to have a broad um, understanding of wrestling and be versatile. I knew that. Uh, I knew I wanted to travel around the world, um, and I knew that I wanted to to be one of those guys who like makes an impact on other people's careers, you know, directly, uh, either as a trainer or as an influence or as someone who inspires people. So those are the things that I definitely knew when I, when I got into it, when I was 17, which is a very young age to know anything, period. And believe me, I might have thought that I knew a lot, but I didn't know anything. And still, to this day, there's still so much more for me to learn. Yeah, wrestling, the funny thing about wrestling especially from from a behind the scenes point of view is that no matter how much you think you've you've mastered the business there's there's so many more levels to it it's 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 amazing that there's a, a culture within that as well yeah and i think you know with anything that you become passionate about that's really how it becomes to you and that's how you, that's how you you know you grow and you like it and that's how it builds you as a person and how you you know feel like you're building back to it when you you know, you won the television, well, the the Wired Television Championship. Winning, oh, yeah. winning, winning that first title for you. You know, you had you had a really great story with that. You you know, you held on to it, and it probably was the belt that just learning about you. I felt put you out there. How was it? You know, when when you won that first championship, and did, do you have a copy of the belt for you that you kept for yourself? <laughs> uh, no, there's only one. Wired Television Championship. Wow, it's out there. I wasn't able to keep a copy of it, which would have been awesome because I like, I like, you know, I held my pants up pretty well. <laughs> uh, did, did a good job with that. It got me uh, free drinks at the bar, that kind of thing. But no, when um, I think it's not so much that the belt put me out there as much as it really helped me to develop myself as a performer. And really, it it was it was a relief. Because up until that point, I was mostly a tag team wrestler. I wrestled with uh, this guy named Andy Sumner, who was a, a Thombo a Thombo athlete. He became a uh, professional wrestler around the same time I did. We, we started training at the same time, as well as Danny Havoc. And um, me and him became like the kind of tag team of the group of the three of us. And we we captured the tag team championships twice. But like I didn't. I mean, I was still young. I was still green. I was very green. Like, I didn't understand a lot of things, you know, about performing and about being a wrestler and, you know, the sophistication that goes into it and the things that you can actually, 
you know, explore with it. And I think that once he kind of left, see, like, he abandoned me. He pretty much just left the company, dropped off the planet, didn't really talk to anyone after that. It was really strange. And, it, it, you know, it, it was a low point for me wrestling-wise, and it, you know, personally. And um, I kind of just, like, said, all right, Drew, now you have to change. You have to adapt. So I, I kind of did. And then finally, when I got that, that, that opportunity with the Wire TV title, that just kind of said, all right, you have the ball. Now do what you want with it. You know, you either can go up or you can go down. And, you know, I, I tried to do something creative with it. And I think it really helped me, helped me understand a lot of things. And it gave me that opportunity to put things in perspective for myself. Well, I, I mean, the, the, the way you, you carried yourself as, you know, in, in, in the heelish fashion was, was great. I liked it because it was, it was very, it was very not, not over the top, but it wasn't subdued either. It was like the uh, the cocky jock that 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 won a couple of, of championships. You were <laughs> you were you were there, and I and I like that. I mean, uh, looking at, at your work now, you're more um, I not not to re not to use this as 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 a basis, but you're more right to censor now. You know mm. what I mean? More 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 Stevie Richards ish. Yeah, I've gotten that comparison a lot, and that's that's perfectly fine with me. If you want to compare me to that, you know, there's uh, people compare me to like Bradshaw later on in his career, which is awesome. You know, yeah. why not? That's a good. But, that's a good comparison. Uh, I, I, never, I never intended. Excuse me. I said that's a good comparison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was great. Um, but I never intended to copy any one of those guys specifically. Like, I knew having uh, a big, big uh, badass bodyguard and a suit and tie would, you know, lead to comparisons with a, with a bunch of things, you know, like you're Mr. Hughes or right to censor, that kind of thing, or even just wearing a suit, period. You know, you compare it to everyone because a lot of guys, just, you know, made a career just by dressing up like that. But um, my my whole intention with this thing was, like, I was, I was an activist. I wanted to be an activist, and I wanted to speak my mind, and I wanted to change a lot of things, like a lot of things that I really felt, like, have to change with the company for it to get better. And uh, I started turning that, you know, into my performances and, and using that. And then it just kind of evolved into this like political thing. And that's really how, how it came about. It wasn't anything specifically modeled after any wrestler that's been around before or after. Oh, no. Anything, I, I tried to model it after the president. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing. That's why I, when, when I used that comparison, it was only based on, you know, initial impression because the way, Usually, especially now, the role of the activist in some circles has become vilified. So I can I can understand you using that as as the basis to to build your your persona. And you know what? It, it worked because of that. If you, if you look in the headlines today, it's, it it almost felt like it was ripped from the headlines when when I saw it initially. Yeah, yeah, that was that was that was great for me too. You know, it was it was nice. I'm in a, in a social environment where that's kind of what's going on with the world and how everybody's feeling, and I can really play off of that a lot easier. Well, going going in going into this match and you know the build for it, using using this persona and and citing the the need to change in CZW because even though you are you know participating in a in a more uh, you know in a more violent match instead instead of the initial you know, by the rules match that you, you had, you had originally suggested. Do you, do you feel that going this route is going to add a newer dimension to your character, especially, you know, cause 
you got to see your own blood. And th- th- was that like a catalyst for you to want to go that route and do this match? I think it's not, it's not so much it's going to add anything for me. I think it's going to add something for the people who have been dedicated and are, are watching us through this time. You know, for a lot of people who are going to tune in for the first time and see this, it's just going to be how they take it. But for a lot of people who have seen me develop over the years, you know, stuff through and are hardcore CZW fans and, you know, are devoted to our product, they're going to be blown away, I feel, by what they're going to see. Yeah, I think one of the the, the funny things is that a lot of guys, and, and I've seen this happen before, they automatically say, oh, well, you know, the guys that have, like, a more defined wrestling style, the minute you throw them in a hardcore environment, it kind of, it kind of sullies the the hard work they put into building that style. And I, I personally, I see it the opposite because I feel that it allows you to, to, to dig into another dimension of your game to deliver, to to deliver something different, something that is more, not more realistic, but just more true to embracing, you know, to, to embracing the hatred of, of your opponent. Like that's how I saw this, this progression for, for you. It was like, all right, you know, you've pushed me over the edge. Now I'm just going to, go into your element and really, really hurt you. Ironically, and I guess it is ironic now that I'm thinking about it, one of the biggest issues I've always had with uh, CZW, and I think it's more so how the public perceives combat zone wrestling, and they always say, like, oh, it's a garbage company, it's deathmatch wrestling, it's it's bullshit. And I never, I never thought it, it should be like that. So in a roundabout way, like I'm trying to give meaning to what we do, to everything that I do. I like to, I like to give meaning to it. And I'm not going to be one of those guys who's just like, okay, today's a ladder match. Sweet. Going to hop in there and start throwing each other on our heads on metal ladders. Like, no, thank you. Yeah. I... Like there, there is, there's a very real emotional feeling going into this thing. Like I, I, I need to, make the most out of everything that I do. Well, I, this weekend, that's what you're going to see. Well, I, I admire the fact that you're, you're not only doing this to, to, to validate the company, but just because you, you yeah. want to paint it differently. You got my yeah, respect. I want to validate, validate wrestling, you know, even, even a step further, like as, as little as that can mean to people, like, that's what I want to do. That's, that's really, that's where I feel, you know, I feel the most, um, the most active. That's where I feel like I can make the most impact is by validating my passion. Oh, you have the perfect platform to do it and, and being active socially leading into it, especially with CZW also, they've, they've really, really embraced social media. You know, when, when they reached out to me for, for some of the stuff, you know, cause I had Greg excellent on a while back and it's just the right, way right. that, the way that they work the the social media circuit is 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 good because it, it feels more intimate being able to to share it with the promotion like hey you know i saw this match and uh, you know i didn't like it and they'll be like oh well you know you why didn't you like it like i like that kind of interaction and you being a guy that embraces that also you know it, it, it it's kind of an added perk for me personally good good that's great i mean like i think that's I think every 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 company should be like that. Should strive to be like that, you know. And even if even if it's something that's not like they're not even consciously thinking about, you should be like that for your consumer or for the people who might give a shit at some point, because those are the people ultimately they're going to help invest or reinvest in, into your into your own investment. 
you know, that's going to help add to everything. Going, I, I wanted to ask about this just because when, when the stuff going, when this went down initially and then you kind of touched on it, you know, the, the Nick Gage situation, you know, uh, yeah. yeah, touching, being involved, I remember reading that and just reading the, the story and, and what went down with him and then, you know, you, you kind of uh, publicly addressing it. Did, did you know that that was going to take people's perception of you to a whole other level? Because it's not often that, you know, a guy will publicly, you know, denounce somebody else, especially in this business. Like most times it's kind of the, the, the headline spun into the story, but you did it kind of the opposite. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. Most of the time it's glossed over bullshit that you yep. have to hear about it and you have to sift through it to really understand what's going on. Why? Why is that? Why is that the case? Like, we're real people. We live in a real world. Why, when someone does something so sinister as that, and maybe so desperate, really, as that, that we can't talk about it, even if it is in a comedic light? Why can't we, why can't we embrace it and then really understand it? Well, I think partially... That's a funny thing, isn't it? Well, I think partially it's because we, we in general, and not even citing just wrestling, but just we as a, as a society have become fucking soft. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. You yeah, because I, I laughed. Talk. I laughed when I looked at it. I'm like, oh, you know, he's put, you're, you, it's not like you were berating the guy completely, but you were, you were doing it in such a way that it was, you know, snarky and, and humorous and it fit your character. But, you know, some people, they view it differently. And I just think that, it, it, people are too sensitive about a product that's meant for entertainment. You're supposed to be entertained, and not all of it is going to be nice. I don't even think it's about the product. I think it's about the issue at hand. You know, th- you have these people here who, this guy was a hero to him. Literally. He was, a, he, he, was, he was the most popular guy in the company, and you can argue that he still is. And he just went out and did something like that. And what? You're just going to wait for people to just say, oh, you know, he was, he was awful, he was horrible, he was terrible, he was this awful person the whole time. That's not true. That's not what really happened. What, what really happened was he went through a tough time, and he made a poor decision in a public light, and it needs to, it needs to, be, it needs to be observed. It needs to be, you know, it needs to be reconciled, which, which it is, which is what's happening here. And then you got people here who, just because I brought it to people's attention, now I'm the bad guy. Oh, you're just citing the obvious. <laughs> exactly. That's all I've ever done. Was yep. Cite the obvious. Thank you. That was great. That was great. Thank you for putting that in perspective. <laughs> well, it's true. You're pointing out the elephant in the room that everybody chooses to ignore. That doesn't make you a, you know, that does, that doesn't make you a scumbag. <laughs> you know, that just makes you a guy who said, "Hey, look, there's a fucking elephant in the room." Yep. That's me. No, elephant there, in the room guy. Hey, there's there, there's no harm in that. Um, you know, you also have been training, you know, you've been training wrestlers as well. What have you, what's one of the first things you try and impart on some of your students, uh, you know, being in the business, coming in younger, what's the first thing that you tell them? Like, look, this is the first thing you got to know getting into this. I mean, there's, there's always like the basic things that most guys or most, most uh, trainers who I hope, you know, know what they're doing. Or even if they, they say it, they'll say like, Hey, keep your mouth closed, keep your ears open, you know, 
uh, trying to really just tell them to be humble about the thing, but that doesn't always translate right away to guys who are young in the business. What I try to do is just tell them, like, I try, I try to make them aware of everything that's kind of going on. I say, hey, what do you want to get out of this? Because it's really an investment that you're making. And then as as a company, we do the best that we can to get these guys the most out of their investment. It's that simple. And that's I think I think that level of intimacy, like you said earlier, is what really makes the difference between us and, and a lot of other promotions out there. That we want to remain intimate with our guys, and uh, especially the ones who are directly investing in their own lives through us. And that's the most important thing. That we need to make them we need to make them open to that, and you know, be real with them from the get go. When when you well look at it this way. Oh. I shouldn't even look at it, put put it out that way. When, on on average, you how many how many students are are you training? Uh, it varies. It varies from day to day. Uh, lately, we just we just signed four new ones the last two weeks. Well, uh, and that's it's only been two weeks since the school has been reopened. Uh, we have about a dozen at any given time that are you know actively enrolled in our school. Well, the reason the reason I ask you that is because uh, a lot of guys they say, "Oh, you know, when 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 a kid comes through the door saying I want to be a pro wrestler, you know, within the first few minutes if they got it or they don't." Is that is that legitimate? Does that apply? Like when a kid walks in and he well, wants to learn the craft? No, it doesn't apply. Everybody's different. You know, if the kid's gonna probably be really successful right off the bat. You know, if they have that, I guess people like to say the X factor, the X factor, which just means that they're they're really outgoing and they have the right attitude from the from the head start, and they know what they want. That's really what that means, and that they're able to they're able to attract attention. Like is that if you if the guy if the kid stands out in any certain way, then yeah, they're going to stand out. But to say that someone can't make it after you know after maybe not being the best or whatever is ridiculous. I don't think that's true at all. I've seen, I've seen uh, people have really nice careers and you would never think in, in their life that they would be good Yeah, I, at all. Yeah. I figured I, I would, I would ask, I would ask someone, you know, who, who has no filter because it's easier to ask any, you know, more established, you know, not more established, but just guys that are, that are out there and they'll give me the, yeah, well, you know, it, it's just a matter of, you know that the the guys got it. Uh, you know your 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 explanation works because there are some guys that they don't hit their stride till they get the basics out of the way and they get the jitters out of the way and then they hit their stride and become something right. completely different. Exactly. It, it it just everyone progresses at a different rate. I, I'm a firm believer in that, and I I just believe that if you're dedicated and you stick it out and you have something in mind that you want to get out out of it, there's nothing stopping you. You know, it, it's like what what's really what's really in the way. Aside from like maybe a physical debilitation, and that that could even be overlooked to an extent. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I think I think that if you if you're just determined and you want something, and it might take you a long time to really get there, then what's to stop you? And that's with anything. In in your in your career, they especially being involved in a more. Uh, physically intensive form of wrestling but what's um what what's the the worst injury you've gotten thus far because you know not for uh, nothing you take a barbed wire bat to the to the head <laughs> that's you know that's that's you may you're gonna make it seem like a walk yeah, no, in the park 
that was just—I think that was the most enraging. That one really just pissed me off more than anything because I didn't need that. I didn't need that that day. I did not need that that day. I just, ugh, what an asshole. <laughs> um, but no, no, the worst worst injury I ever had. Let's see, there was there was probably a couple, not too many. I got like a, I had bone chips in my elbows. That's like basic stuff. My nose has been broken about seven or eight times. Oh. Yeah, that's no fun. Um. I had my sacrum knocked out of alignment in 2010, and I couldn't walk for the better part of a month. Oh my god, <laughs> that was pretty. That was pretty bad. I just sat on my couch and watched Lost, and like I could feel my body healing as the episodes got more crazy. <laughs> the Dharma Initiative healed you. <laughs> yeah, right. It was some time warp or something. Yeah, I jumped some time. And oof. Healed my shit. No, but that. I mean, that I, I've been pretty lucky, considering. Well, that, well, that's why I asked because, you know, you, when I, I had asked Greg and Greg's like, yeah, you know, this thing, that thing, you know, he was, he talked about, um, Mia Yim kicking him in the side of the head and he was like, oh my God, you know, I thought you almost, I thought I was dead. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> so, you know, I, I had a really hard. Yeah. That, that, that seems to be the general consensus that she kicks incredibly hard. Yep. She needs to get, she needs to get some, uh, retribution. Someone needs to handle that. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. I, um. In in fishing around, just putting my notes together, I heard you had a, a degree in behavioral sciences, and uh, you know, I wanted to ask how much how much of what you've learned to get that degree do you apply in in just navigating the world of professional wrestling? Because there's there, there's a lot of head shrinking going on there. <laughs> yeah, there can be. Um, I don't know. I, I like to apply that to everything. That's I love that stuff. I, I'm, I'm if there's anything that. Like if if I got stuck not being able to wrestle, I would I would definitely focus on that. I'm just so uh, so enthralled by that that field and everything that goes with it, sociology in particular. But uh, I'm a I'm, I'm a dual major in psychology as well. So oh, shit, that all awesome. uh, it, it, it all applies, applies to everything in life because well, we we live in a social world. Even if you're by yourself, it applies. Well, it, the reason I ask is because sometimes when the, when you cut your promos, I saw one where um. You, you you were bleeding from the face, and uh, the guy, um, your your bodyguard was yelling at you. He's like, "Get it together!" And the look on your face was just like, "I have it together, but I really don't." And and and, and seeing that kind of a background that you have, I said to myself, "That's the, that's the whole blank stare. I'm gonna kill you face <laughs> that you can only you can uh, only see in a book." A very good blank stare. I'm gonna kill you face. Yeah, I, I, I saw it. I was I like, told that. I can tell that. Yeah, that blank stare. I'm gonna kill you. Face is pretty nice. <laughs> I looked and I was like, shit, that's not good, because that's the kind of stuff you know. <laughs> you, 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 they talk about with you know when when you talk to a psychiatrist and they're like, yeah, you know, he just had he just looks soulless, and I was just like, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks. Tell me, I look soulless. That's cool. <laughs> thanks for the interview, bro. Yeah, man. Um. Last thing I wanted to ask, I um, I hear you're a gamer too. Yes, yes, I like video games. I've been a video gamer my whole life. I was pretty much born around you know, the same time the NES came out, so I think anybody around that era. Uh, that would that would make me one of them. <laughs> that would make yeah. me one of them. I um only because you know we we cover games on here too, so I figured I I I'd, I'd find out you know what do you play, what you know what what systems you got, you know the, something off off wrestling a bit. <laughs> Well, I'm a Nintendo dude. I've always been a Nintendo dude my whole life. Uh, but I got to tell you, man, ever since January, 
my buddy bought me Skyrim, and it was it's got to be the worst thing that's ever happened to me, <laughs> ever. Just I can't stop playing it. Like when I play video games, that's all I want to do is sit there and play with freaking Skyrim. Yeah, it's funny. Everybody who I know that plays that, and I know a couple of guys that have played it for the first time. They're like, "You just don't put it down." So it's it, you are not the first. But um, is our is our RPG games your thing? I mean, you know, being a Nintendo fan, they had some some solid RPGs, especially Super NES days, and even on the sixty four bit. I actually just got a I got an emulator on my phone, and I got, I went back and I got Earthbound, and that game rules. Earth, Earthbound is awesome. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you played Earthbound. Earthbound's good. Yeah, I'm, I more, got, uh, I'm a Chrono Trigger, Trigger guy. Yeah, Chrono Trigger's really good too. <laughs> and then I got uh, I got I got Zelda Link to the Past. Hey, no, no, so, no harm yeah. in no harm in that. No, on road trips I'm set. How do you how do you feel about Nintendo's new system? What the Wii U thing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess I don't know. I I feel like it's really going to start to hurt them that they're not caught up graphically to Xbox and Sony now because they kind of figured out the motion gimmick. Although I'm kind of I'm really curious to see how that controller's going to work. I'm going to get it anyway because I'm a Nintendo guy. Yeah, we are. We are. Uh, we are. Sheep to it. You know, I, I just. I don't. It's, the graphics aren't supposed to match up, right? It's like supposed to be way behind. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard that it's. Um, some people are saying it's. It's Xbox level graphics. Some people are saying it's a PS2. Uh, you know, or early Xbox 360. I mean, it's up to interpretation. So far, from what they've shown, it, it looks pretty solid. I actually like the um, the tablet and you know being able to put objects on the tablet and they appear in game. Yeah, I think that's pretty sweet. I like I like how you can uh, you can point it at the screen and the camera will pick up the actual screen itself on the tablet. Yeah, that's... the tablet thing has a camera in the back that registers. I, I thought that was pretty sweet. You can do like arrows and stuff through there. I just think that Nintendo they 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 rely too much on just Mario and Zelda. Like you know they don't they don't take risks. Yeah, I, I wish there were more third party companies that would get in there. It looks like. Uh, what is it, Kojima? Like, they're going to start getting in there more? Yep. Like this guy's? Yeah, so uh, that, that, that's always good. I know Metal, Metal, Gear, is, Metal, Gear, yeah, Metal Gear is huge with, uh, with the gaming community, so that'll yeah. be nice. Arkham City's supposed to be on the Wii U also. I'm, I'm, I'm dying to see how they do that. Maybe they'll make the uh, the Wii U screen the, uh, the radar for Batman. Ooh, that'd be cool. I yeah. just had that for my brother for uh, Xbox. Yeah, that game is awesome. Oh, did you just get it for him recently? Yeah, I just got a farm like a couple weeks ago. It was his birthday. It's uh, really cool. Awesome uh, game. Beautiful. Oh, it, it's it's awesome. Had had I had I known or had I been interviewing you sooner, I would have said to wait because they're putting out a game of the year edition with all the extra shit in it. Yeah, yeah. Someone <laughs> just told me that. <laughs> all right. Well, it, it, it said, they said you can uh, you can download that stuff later. Anyway. Yeah, but then you're on the hook paying, which is that that the the worst shit that I hate about gaming. Like now, it's not like when we were younger. You know, you buy the Nintendo cartridge, you play it. You buy this the, the 64 or the or the Super Nintendo, and you just play that, and you're good. Now it's like, oh, you buy the game, but you know, we didn't feel like finishing yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So they nickel and dime. They nickel and dime the shit out of you. But um, I think I think we're good. <laughs> you you answered all the questions I had. Nothing else. That's it. Yeah, man. I. I you pretty much covered everything, but um, we we got to do the the big sell for the the event this weekend on iPayPerView. You, Danny Havoc, the end, no rope barbed wire match. 
some somebody's gonna bleed a lot. Hopefully, it's not you. You're a pretty cool fucking yeah, dude. You're a pretty cool dude. <laughs> Thanks. Also, you're not too bad yourself. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Um, also, Drake Younger, Black G's for the uh, Junior Heavyweight Championship. Azrael and Bandito taking on the Runaways. Dave Christ and Jake Christ also. Uh, Matt Tremont, Greg Excellent, and Latin Dragon, Shane Strickland, and Alexander James will also be meeting in a triple threat. And that's uh, this Saturday, 7.30 at the uh, Parkwood Youth Organization in Philly, 3303 uh, Mechanicsville Road. And um, let's just get all the social outlets where people can find you out of the way. The best place to keep in touch with me is that you can follow me on Twitter at Drew Gulak. That's D-R-E-W-G-U-L-A-K. It rise with attack. That's uh, that's really the best spot you can go and follow me right now. I got a blog on Blogspot. DrewGulak.blogspot.com. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Just search me. See easy stuff. Google me. <laughs> go on Google and type in Drew Gulak. See what comes up. Matter of fact, go on YouTube. Yes. Type in Drew Gulak. See what comes up. You are, blow your mind. You are awesome, Drew. You you're you're always you got an open door invite man i like talking games with you and you have a really awesome insight into professional wrestling you look you are i'd like to say the thinking man's wrestler thank you thank you yeah i've been told uh what is it damian sandow that dude he like he copied me or whatever yeah damian sandow is a uh a wait and see gimmick for me right now wait and see feels too much like the genius right right or the uh what was um shit who was doing that gimmick too uh, what's his name? Fucking uh, the uh, uh, the the pot dude, the pot gimmick. Who are they? Oh, um, Tag. shit. Why is this? Why is this in my mind right now? O'Hare, Sean O'Hare. Yeah, well, Sean uh, Sean, o, Sean O'Hare had such a so, so so much potential, and I just don't know what happened. He had the look too. I don't know. There's a lot of guys who have a look of yeah. potential. And then they just, you know, then they just end up on fucking TMZ. <laughs> well, that's what that's what happens. It's like, oh, look, Hogan's on TMZ this week. Or, you know, John Cena's on TMZ. That was the headline today, as a hey, matter of fact. Hogan. Hogan, man. Hey, eh. The whole He has his moments where he really upsets me. With the Hulk? Yeah, man. I mean, I, f- I feel bad Dude, that... He was yeah. on Thunder in Paradise. He can do no wrong. Oh, yeah, but then again, so was Sting. That show exists because of him. And Sting. Sting was on it, too, and I think The Undertaker popped up in there on an episode as well. Well, they're not the stars of it. (laughs) They didn't get to drive the boat, so... Yeah, the boat was the star. The boat was the star, right? There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you you definitely got to come back, man. (laughs) Thanks, yeah, anytime. Let me know. Pop culture references... Pop culture references, put it over the top, man. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to come through, talk with us. Drew Gulak this weekend. Whoop Danny Havoc's ass. I want to see him bleed. Thanks. And I'll make sure to uh, make th- make sure the audio gets to you for the interview, and I'll make sure to link all the stuff. So be on the lookout for that within the next couple of hours. Great. Awesome. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. All right, brother. Good luck this weekend. Thanks a lot. All right. See ya. All right. Guys, that was Drew Gulak, Rhymes with Attack. Make sure to check him out. Look for him on Facebook, Twitter, 
Twitter.com forward slash Drew Gulak, D-R-E-W-G-U-L-A-K. You can also find his blog on Blogspot, D-Gulak, G-U-L-A-K dot Blogspot dot com. All those links will be in the show notes for this episode, which will be posted on MyTakeRadio.com within the next couple of hours. I recommend you go on YouTube, check out his work. Like I said, his finisher, the Gulak, is redonkulous. He did a, there's a match on there, him defending the Wired uh, TV title. And he put the Gulak on a guy. And it was ridiculous. Very, very, um, very technically proficient. And if you look on his uh, CZW profile photo, you're probably going to say he looks like Daniel Bryan, which was my first thought. I'm like, wow, he looks a lot like Daniel Bryan. In the earlier YouTube stuff, he, you know, he was a lot younger, but... In the photo on CZW, he looks like Daniel Bryan. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I knew that he was going to come in uh, sharp as attack, um, know his wrestling, especially the more psychological aspects, but talking some games, we got some pop culture stuff in there. So very, very happy. Drew Gulak, badass in my book. All right, let's wrap up the MMA news, jump into wrestling. Uh, there's not the, uh, well, you know what? Let's wrap up wrestling and I mean, let's wrap up MMA and go into wrestling with this story, which is, of course, King Mo. This was all over Twitter today. Uh, King Mo, light heavyweight champion, for, former light heavyweight champion in Strike Force, was recently released by the UFC, has signed a deal, get this, not only to fight for Bellator, but also to wrestle for TNA Wrestling. So this this is fucking huge. He will be. Uh, uh, he will be the Deion Sanders of this shit. He will be the Bo Jackson. He will fight and he will wrestle professionally. Has a record of 10-1-1. Started MMA in 2008. Defeated Gegard Mousasi for the light heavyweight title. Um, knocked out Hodger Gracie when they fought in 2011. If you read uh, the article about 10 professional wrestlers, I mean 10 mixed martial artists that would be excellent professional wrestlers, you will know that King Mo was one of them. Guy is an NCAA Division I All-American straight out of Oklahoma State University. He's a three-time U.S. National Champion for 2005, 2006, and 2008 in the 84-kilogram division. In 2007, he was part of the U.S. National Team and brought home the gold medal at the Pan American Games and also the silver medal in the World Cup as well. So you're getting a tremendous athlete that not only understands the inner workings of professional wrestling because he does. He's a fan of the sport, of the genre. He knows how to cut a promo. He knows how to market himself as a heel or as a face. He knows how to deliver controversial statements. The guy is the perfect package. My only concern, and this is something that we've seen, is that Bobby Lashley was going to try this as well. You know, wrestle professionally and do MMA, and it just didn't work. King Mo. With Bellator's tournament format, I think it works to a degree. But I also feel that professional wrestling, there's more to it than just the wrestling. There's promos, there's house shows, there's tours, etc., etc. I really am concerned that the aspects of professional wrestling that King Mo is so fond of will hinder his MMA career. But you know what? I'm just the guy behind a microphone. What the fuck do I know? But, um... King Mo, Bellator, TNA, I, I'm happy for King Mo. I think it's a great opportunity for him. And you know what? He went where the money was. The UFC cut him because 
partly because of the statements he made about Pat Lundvall, um, the suspension, all this shit, which whatever, I'm not, I'm not going to say how the UFC should run their business, but you know what? There are guys in the UFC that have done worse shit and they're still there with the exception of Paul Daly. And you know, King Mo's issue wasn't the worst thing out there. Could the UFC have handled it differently? Yes. Did they? No. But you know what? I respect what King Mo said. And he said, look, man, I, I, I fight to get paid. I'm in this to make money. And Bellator and TNA will allow me the opportunity to reach a newer audience. To become something, to become something bigger. And you know what? That's, that's, that's what it's all about. It's all about the money. So props to King Mo for that. And um, that's going to wrap up the MMA segment for this week. I am actually going to take a commercial break for the first time in a while, only because we, um, for some reason, my crazy-ass cat decided to come up here, and this motherfucker is meowing a lot. So either he has to go and take a shit, or he needs to get the fuck out of here. So I am going to just toss this commercial break on here and uh, let him out. Otherwise, he may possibly suffocate me while I'm on air or some other craziness. So uh, check out this commercial from our friends at VGN, and I'll be right back right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... (laughs) Well, you won't listen to that on our show. Because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, Video Game News Radio. 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. All right, and we're back. Let's talk some wrestling. Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga! We got Monday Night Raw off the bat. Couple of things. Um, not gonna go too crazy. John Laurinaitis opens things up, talking shit about John Cena, blah blah blah. I'm not. I've realized sitting here talking about Raw that there's no need to fucking recap it. There really isn't. So let. I just want to cite a couple of things from from Monday's Raw that I didn't really. You know, some shit I like, some I didn't. Brodus Clay's fucking squash matches, I am tired of them. I'm tired of Brodus Clay squashing guys that have plenty of potential for the extent of getting King Hippo over. I understand King Hippo, he's awesome. You guys have invested all this money into him. But seriously, it's fucking King Hippo. He comes out, the chicks do the ass hydraulics, touching their asses together. It's great. You know, everybody gets hype. We dance, you know, dance, chubby dance. 
But seriously, you're jobbing out guys like Ziggler, even The Miz, for to get over a gimmick that doesn't really need to get over. On the contrary, this gimmick needs a fucking feud. Brodus Clay needs a feud. I don't give a fuck if he's feuding with Mark Henry, feuding with the buffet table. Any, Give me something. Anything at this point. Honestly. Every fucking week, it's a, it's a terrible-ass squash match or a hornswoggle tag team match. It's it's stupid. And of course, you know, Paul Heyman comes out and pretty much it was great for a multitude of reasons. Obviously, coming out, saying he's representing Brock Lesnar, uh, a, a, just a magical promo from, from the great Paul Heyman. Um, I really like that WWE pulled the trigger on this. For a couple of reasons. Number one, Brock Lesnar's contract. He's not going to be on TV a lot. So a good way to keep the angle going is a guy like Paul Heyman, who's his representative. Not only that, but Paul just adds a level of of promo work, especially for, for managers and for even for heels themselves. That just makes people step their game up. Not only that, but Paul also, as much as people say that he's not working behind the scenes... He is definitely going to lend his talents to various members of the roster backstage, just letting them know, hey, you know, this works, that works. Just, I think he's good for the business. Regardless of what people say or their thoughts on ECW and the hardcore wrestling culture, Paul Heyman knows his shit. He can see shit that nobody else sees in wrestlers, good, bad, or otherwise. And having him part of your roster, whether it's in a creative capability or just fucking visiting, is important to your fucking brand. Vince needs to see this shit. Stop letting Stephanie McMahon and Triple H come up with some of the shit that they come up with. Or these asshole soap opera writers. Take feedback from a guy who knows this business. He won't steer you wrong. Just look at the SmackDown 6. That's all I gotta say. CM Punk ended up doing a handicap match with Lord Tensai and Daniel Bryan. And I've realized something. Lord Tensai skulks around like a fucking ninja, moving like like he's sneaking around the entire time he's in the ring. You are a 300-pound white man. You can't even sneak through a dark room, and you're sneaking, you're skulking around the ring like a ninja. Chris Farley's the only fat white guy ninja that's remotely believable. It sure as fuck isn't a guy with Crayola crayon marks on his fucking head. It's not. I'm sorry, the Lord Tensai gimmick to me is just stupid. You know, it's the equivalent of Kamala and Kimchi. Nobody does that shit anymore. Really? I have an Asian manservant? Who does that in 2012? Where? Where do you go that you have a manservant? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and I'm just going to go to Slick's job, stand at his desk all day, and when people come to bother him, I'm going to punch people in the face and say, you know, I'm Slick's house slave, you know, and I punch people in the face. I'm his dedicated face puncher. That's that's my job. I, I, I that's what I am. I am. I am a field guy. Not a, I'm not a house slave. I'm a field slave. You know, you get me for the physical labor. Seriously. You know, who does that shit? It's just not believable. It is such an antiquated, silly fucking gimmick. Like, if you want to make Sakamoto his manager, just be like, yo, Sakamoto's his manager. And he can just come out and be a badass, and he can say 
you know, I refuse to talk in English because the American public refuse, you know, didn't give a fuck about me when I was here. So, you know what? I've embraced my Japanese culture. The Japanese people give a fuck about me and my Japanese manager is going to do my talking. Fuck you very much. That's it. Instead, you got fucking chubby checker ninja skulking around the ring like a complete asshole. And it, it just it just makes his gimmick look like shit. He is the ninja Brodus Clay. That's what he is. It, there's, there's nothing else being added to this equation. Nothing. The only other thing I wanted to say, Cody Rhodes and the Big Show, I'm tired of this shit. Yeah, the Big Show 1v account out, this feud stinks. It stinks. And I'm sure there's going to be like a cage match or some shit so Cody Rhodes doesn't run away. I'm tired of this angle. It sucks. It really sucks. Simple as that. And I didn't even touch on Alberto Del Rio and Chris Jericho and Sheamus and Randy Orton because it was a solid match and really there was there were no issues with it whatsoever. But the squash matches, fucking the pale chubby ninja, what the fuck is going on in 2012? You got all this talent on this roster. You mean to tell me you can't find somebody to feud with Brodus Clay? I don't even give a shit if he feuds with Heath Slater at this point. Like a legit feud like every week. I'd rather that. I'd rather Heath Slater come out while he's dancing and crack him in the fucking head with a chair. Or maybe chloroform one of his dancers and throw her in the trunk of his car and drive away. Give me something. Every week these fucking squashes are getting old. Ugh. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Now, here's the other wrestling news for this week. In, in, in news which I'm sure... You know, I'm sure makes Scott Hall very happy. It seems that the domestic violence charges for him were dropped. Last month, he was accused of choking out his girlfriend, which I talked about, um, allegedly grabbing her throat in a drunken fit of rage, which happened on April 6th, I believe. Um, police observed that there were signs of injury, but she refused to press charges. So, you know, the, Scott Hall's lawyer stated any charges that were filed against Scott were dismissed and or rejected by the prosecutor due to insufficient evidence. Scott will now turn his attention to the foreclosure action that was brought against him. So there you have it. Seems Scott Hall is out of legal trouble for, for, for the moment. But I think that, you know, the, the worst is yet to come. He really needs to get his shit together. He needs to be put in a legit rehab where he has to wear like a shock collar in case he tries to leave to shock his ass to stay there. Because he's the, the guy's a detriment to himself. He needs to stay in rehab. It wouldn't be a wrestling segment without me talking about one of the, one of Hulk Hogan's fucked up family members. This week, Nick Hogan, um, he was granted an early release from his five-year probation, which he received in 2008 after that reckless driving charge where he turned his friend into a fucking vegetable. Um, he got the charge from the 2007 car accident, and basically, since he was released from his probation, he will not have the felony charge on his record as a result of his sentencing terms being met. Now, here's the here's the thing. I have no problem with him getting his early release because frankly, he's probably he probably walks everywhere he goes or he rides a bicycle. I wouldn't let that motherfucker near a car even if it was a, even if it was a Power Wheels car in Toys R Us. Get the fuck out of here. Seriously, you get into an accident, your 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 buddy pretty much has to get fed through a fucking tube. And the only way you can comprehend what he says is because he blinks and you get to walk around scot-free. 
He needs to really fucking do something with himself instead of taking up space and living on the fact that he's Hulk Hogan's son. Go become a fucking wrestler. I understand that you went to to wrestling school with Garrett Bischoff and you couldn't cut the mustard, but you know what? Nobody is going to do anything with you because you have a terrible, terrible personal history. It's like, how can I look at you as an asset to society when your best friend is sitting in a fucking bed as a vegetable? When there's audio floating around of your father saying that, you know, it's your friend's fault that he's crippled. Yeah, you know, Hulk Hogan, I grew up, I I said my prayers, I took my vitamins like every other little kid. But the Hulk Hogan from my childhood and the Hulk Hogan that, that I know now as a fan are two separate individuals. The Hulk Hogan I grew up watching is a guy who was a hero to kids. You know, Hulk Hogan's rockin' wrestling, thumb wrestlers, the big rubber wrestling guys, um, Hulk Hogan bandanas, Hulk Hogan t-shirts, um, the giant pillow wrestlers. That was that was the heyday when Hulk Hogan was a god, when Hulk Hogan was a hero. Now Hulk Hogan is just an old man that fucking lives his life vicariously through the rest of the fucking wrestling roster. He really does. He, he, he has nothing else to give this business other than lame shit with Eric Bischoff. I don't understand what exactly the nature of them being so chummy chummy is, but you know what? They bring nothing to the wrestling industry. Nothing. Hulk Hogan brings bullshit and shitty leg drops and his talentless daughter. That's what he brings to the fucking table. You want to entertain me? Put a fucking snuff film out of somebody running a train on your daughter. Otherwise, get the fuck off my television. You bring nothing to the table. Nothing. Hulk Hogan from 1985, a wrestling god. Hulk Hogan when I was when when he was in the NWO, a fucking genius. Hulk Hogan that I stare at and Hogan knows best and impact is a shell of the man he was. A fucking shell. It's sad. It is it is terrible. And, and you know what? People can be like, oh well, you know. Uh, not 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 everybody not everybody's perfect people are flawed yeah but you know what when you go into a company and systematically destroy it from within you are you are not flawed you are a fucking piece of shit that's what you are i'm sorry for every good thing that hulk hogan's done there are five bad things you got a sex tape with your best friend's wife dude your best friend's wife that he that he offered to you like a sandwich Hey, Hulk, you want to fuck my wife today? Sure, brother, let's go. Like, seriously. that what? There's no logic behind that. None. And it's sad because his kids got famous based off, you know, the 15 minutes of fame. Now they have absolutely nothing to show for it. His daughter is not a singer. His son is not a race car driver. The, most, the only thing he drives is the fucking whatever local bus service in Florida. That's what he drives. His daughter, nothing. All she does, oh, let me walk around the beach half naked so people can take pictures for TMZ. That's it. I'm sorry, but that's the that's the way it works. PW Insider reported that WWE is scouting for new talent. They sent uh, Gerald Briscoe to the Olympic trials in Iowa City, and they currently are scouting new um, Olympic Greco-Roman wrestlers. Uh, right now, they got two of them that have potential. Uh, one from Turkey. And another another local wrestler here in the U.S. 
Of course, the guy from Turkey is six foot five, two hundred and eighty-five pounds, which you know that's not a factor whatsoever. So just take that into consideration in case you see some giant Turkish guy come out and start throwing people all over the place. Not for nothing. Remember Sylvester Turkey? I arrest my case, folks. Also, I found out that Goldust was released from his producer position and was moved to the alumni section. They're saying that this stems from an incident that happened in SmackDown two weeks ago involving uh, Chaco Cena and the, um, the barking Lamar Odom and a spot that they did on Yoshi Tatsu involving a powerbomb where there was a huge amount of potential for him to get hurt. So it seems that that was why he was released. I don't know if that's 100% legit, but it seems to be the general consensus, and a, a lot of sites are referencing it as such. So there you have it. If I get the full scoop, I will gladly share it with you guys. And of course, as I mentioned when I was talking to Drew Gulak earlier, uh, John Cena's wife, Liz, is, uh, well, John Cena filed for divorce from his wife and um, pretty much seems that she was blindsided by it. According to the Miami Herald, John Cena filed a divorce from his wife of three years. The divorce papers state that the marriage is irretrievably broken. Cena's soon-to-be ex-wife Liz was his high school sweetheart, and she hired the Miami attorney Raymond Rafool, the same attorney that represented Linda Hogan in her divorce from Hulk Hogan. Based on, based on this information, it is said that Cena is worth $18 million and that the couple has a prenuptial agreement which they signed in 2009 that it said to include the ability to take back all gifts and presents. According to what they're saying, uh, John Cena's wife didn't even know about the divorce filing. Uh, she allegedly stated that they were having some issues, but she refused to sign a pre-divorce financial settlement that Cena approached her about. She believed that the relationship could be worked out. Now, here's the funny thing. And, and again, this is, this is me speculating. This is, this is guy logic. If you're a man and you're divorcing your wife, it's because you caught her doing something dirty and you figure, let me divorce her instead of digging a six foot hole and throwing her in. That's not what I would do, but I think that men, men don't really go and divorce their wives. Uh, Not often. And when they do, it's never because, you know, I don't like that you can't cook. It's either because the sex is bad and, and the guy's cheating or he caught her, you know, with t- taking nine inches coming in from work. Who knows? Whatever the case may be, for a guy to say that a marriage is irretrievably broken, it's, um, I don't know. It, it's Like I said, it, it all signs point to some dirt being done on the wife's side. But let's be real, folks. You're John Cena. You ain't an ugly looking dude. You're in good shape. You're on the road. I'm sure girls are throwing panties at you left and right. You know, she's probably home. She don't see you for 300 days out of the year. She got some needs. The old glass dildo John Cena's not doing the job. Hey, maybe she needed somebody to double click her mouse for her. Who knows? Whatever the case may be, it's it's something there's there's more to it. And then you what do you think that you're hiring Hulk, you know, Linda Hogan's attorney is going to make a difference. If if you signed a prenup, you you are getting what's on that prenup, and that's it. So don't get fucking crazy thinking you're going to get some super payday because you're not. Yeah, John Cena is worth allegedly eighteen million dollars, but I'm sure that prenup doesn't let you touch a fraction of that. 
Who knows? But of course, if more news develops, I will share it with you guys. But until then, let's talk some video games. Alright, first up, Joystick shared some information regarding Call of Duty Black Ops 2 already breaking records. It seems that Black Ops 2 even was out-pre-ordered. Well, it succeeded in out-pre-ordering Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 by more than 30%. Modern Warfare 3 originally held the record for the most pre-ordered game of all time and was amongst the top 20 pre-orders ever on Amazon.com. That's including books and movies. Turns out that um, Call of Duty Black Ops 2 has broken that record. We already know that Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 made $775 million in five days globally. And with this many pre-orders already breaking records, we may see a a billion dollars within the first week of release for this game. That's some crazy shit. Just because, uh, you know, say what you will about Call of Duty, you know, fresh coat of paint duty, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Facts are facts. There is some crazy shit going on when... A game is already breaking the records of your pre-orders. It is some insane shit. That's for damn sure. But I will tell you that the amount of money that's going to be made from that game is going to validate whether that franchise is going to continue and whether it's going to evolve forward. That's the way I see it. I mean, honestly, I played Black Ops 1. It was cool, and I really liked it. You know, for what it was, I played the online a little bit. I played the uh, campaign. It was, you know, like I said, it was it was all good. But um, I, I don't know, man. I just think that that Call of Duty starting to get a little old in the tooth. You know, at least that's how I feel. Some people are gonna say, oh, you know, you just don't play the shit enough. You don't give Call of Duty no love. No, it's not that. It's the fact that the game. Yeah, you're going to go into the future with it now and it's all good, whatever. But it's it's not it's not really advancing the medium forward. At least that's how I see it. I honestly think that there's more to Call of Duty than just the typical war simulator. I think that they can do so much more with it. Unfortunately, you know, they're just going to rely on the same fresh coat of paint to continue selling units. But you know what? When you make a billion dollars for a fucking game, you really aren't going to listen to many detractors. Simple as that. Of course, the other big news earlier this week was the Xbox 360 console that was going to retail for $100 with a contract. Now, the way it works is you're going to get a 4-gig console with Xbox Live Gold for two years and a Kinect for 100 bucks. But the kicker is you got to pay $15 a month and you got to maintain that contract for two years. The deal ends up working out to about 460 bucks over the course of two years. Obviously, if you buy the console for $300, which is the, the norm, Xbox Live Gold for two years is $120, so that's $420. So you're going to lose 40 bucks there based on that. And of course, you're going to find better deals on Xbox Live. I think that, and I've said this before, the approach that Microsoft is using with this is that they're trying to compete with, like I said, the things like Apple TV, all of that, because they are encroaching on that particular aspect of 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 market share that Xbox is trying to grow. Think about it. HBO Go, uh, Max Go, all that stuff, all those special programs that are popping up on Xbox Live, 
that are part of the gold package, people that are buying Apple TVs or Google TVs or boxy boxes or whatever streaming boxes they're using are getting that stuff for, you know, for nothing. So they are encroaching on that because people are going to be like, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to pay for Xbox Live Gold if I have, I don't know, Apple TV and I could just watch Netflix that way. Things like that definitely is Microsoft won't say anything, but I think that they're doing it because they're realizing that the Xbox has a future as not just a video game console, but as a complete entertainment experience plays DVDs. You can watch cable programming. Supposedly internet Explorer is rumored to be put on Xbox live with connect capability. So they're really working on making it the entertainment hub for, for everybody's household and Frankly, it's a smart move. A lot of people that don't have an Xbox 360 will probably pick it up without even blinking, even if, you know, that $15 a month is going to make it for a $460 console. But you know what? That initial expense of 90 of 100 bucks is going to move a lot of units. Simple as that. In some other news, Capcom announced that their sales were down 16% from last year. They are at 82.1 billion yen with the consumer online games division earning 53 billion of that. The dip in sales is being attributed to the fact that Dragon's Dogma, which was supposed to come out last year, is coming out this year. But on the bright side, Resident Evil Raccoon City and Street Fighter Cross Tekken sold over a million copies. Monster Hunter Tri-G for the 3DS sold 1.6 million copies. So you know what? They're not hurting that bad, but like I've said before, people are starting starting to get smart. And they're starting to realize that there's no necessity in rebuying all these games over and over again for the sake of a couple of a, a couple of small perks. People are getting smarter with their money, and Capcom is not being is not going to be able to game people much longer to get them to buy the same shit like Street Fighter Cross Tekken, you know, with the with the DLC and all that shit. And who knows? Maybe they'll release a disc with all the stuff on it. I wouldn't even doubt it at this point. But people are getting smarter. Digging into the cobwebs, it seems that Tony Hawk is going to be relevant again in the gaming space. Tony Hawk Pro Skater HD is coming to Xbox Live Arcade and the PlayStation Network this June. The game is going to feature stages from the first two games, and Tony has said that depending on the popularity, they may add more stages from later games or even new content as well. As of right now, Pro Skater HD is a remake, which is going to feature select levels from the first two games that originally debuted on PS1. Make note of that. The game is going to have HD graphics, fresh coat of paint. You guys know the deal. Tony Hawk games were really fun, especially those earlier ones. I loved playing those. Um, I, there was also a, a one with uh, BMX bikes, which I like. That was also made by the same guys that made Tony Hawk, which was super badass. I mean, for, for 5 or 10 bucks on Xbox Live, it may do well. It's just going to be... The fact that does Tony Hawk's name still hold up so many years later? We're going to find out. Everybody was was talking about last week and the week prior about the um, Microsoft killing their first party content show on Xbox Live. Well, originally it was killed in the U.S., which was inside Xbox. And now they've also killed it in in Europe as well. Um I don't understand why Microsoft is going in this direction. I think one of the things that sets them apart is the fact that they have innovative and unique content being offered to their audience 
through a platform like inside Xbox, I think it's a great way to just have um, uh, programming to showcase your brand and some of the great products you have coming out. And, you know, what, what's, what is it, 20 minutes, half hour of your life that allows you to promote products and people are watching it and, and you decide to kill it? If you're interested in making your console the center of a home theater, why don't you give people original programming like that that's 30 or 45 minutes? It lets people know about upcoming games, upcoming films, uh, service announcements, things like that. It's, it's a no-brainer. Why they would decide to cancel that boggles my fucking mind. But... This is Microsoft, folks. They do a lot of crazy shit. Superhero hype set um, get, shed a little bit of light on the upcoming Amazing Spider-Man game that's coming out June 26th. Um, the game is going to be taking place after the film as an epilogue, and you're going to get two um, exclusive pre-order bonuses depending on where you buy the game. If you buy it from GameStop, you're going to get the Rhino Challenge, where you'll be able to play as Rhino and rampage through Manhattan, destroying everything, um, it's a timed event, they got combos, they got tons of breakable shit, and it's an unlockable for the Xbox 360 and the PS3. Now, the Amazon pre-order is the one that everybody's going to be talking about, and they already are, because they allow you to play as Stan Lee in Spider-Man. He'll be a playable character for the first time ever, he'll have his own mission, and he's going to borrow Spider-Man's powers and um, get pages for a script as he races through Manhattan. Uh, the surprise at the end of the mission, since it's Spider-Man's 50th anniversary, um, is is being kept under wraps. But they said that since it's his 50th anniversary, this would be an awesome pre-order. So you get to play the game as Stan the Man. Um, I actually may contemplate doing the pre-order on Amazon because that's that's pretty cool. I mean, Stan Lee is you know, he's the, the godfather of comics. You know, he's he's the man. So being able to to see him in in digital form swinging through New York City is it's pretty cool. It's a nice little little nod to Stan Lee's uh, contribution to the Marvel Universe. So, badass. Like I said, you want to play as Rhino? Pre-order from LameStop. You want to play as Stan the Man Lee? Amazon.com is your source. For those of you that are tossing your Modern Warfare 3 on the side, you better blow the dust off because you're going to get a new free mode called Face Off, which is going to include two maps for free. It's going to be one-on-one and two-on-two gameplay. As of right now, there's no release date yet, but they're saying that there's also going to be new stuff for Elite members. Three new multiplayer maps, as well as two new Spec Op missions, and two more Face-Off apps. Elite members are going to be getting that on the 15th, and Xbox gamers will be getting that on the 21st. So if you got an Xbox and you're an Elite member, the 15th is your day. If not, the 21st. But there's no date for PS3 or PC at this time. So there you have it. Last bit of gaming news I wanted to close out with. MPD numbers. I'm sure you guys are going to love this stuff. Uh, Hardware sales, they were $189.7 million. Um, That's a 32% drop. Software sales were $292.1 million. That's a 42% decrease from last year. Excuse me, accessories have gone up, but again, nothing too crazy. Um, Xbox 360, of course, is the leader still. Um, According to Major Nelson, Xbox 360 sold 236,000 units during the month of April. Now let's talk about the best-selling titles for the month of April. 
Uh, We're going to go in reverse. We'll start with number 10, MLB 12, the show for the PS3 and PS Vita was number 10. Just Dance 3 was 9. Mass Effect 3 was 8. Mario Party 9 was 7. The Witcher 2 Assassin of Kings was 6. NBA 2K12 was 5. Tiger Woods PGA Tour 13 was 4. Call of Duty holding on number 3 spot. Connect Star Wars. Wow, shocker. Number 2. And in news that will probably make Slick very happy, Prototype 2 was the number one selling game for the month of April for 360 and PS3. So congrats to uh, Radical Entertainment for having the number one selling game for the month of April. Obviously, you can check out Slick's review of Prototype 2 on MyTakeRadio.com. Very thorough, very detailed, and very, very well done review by Slick. Check it out. And um, by all means, share your thoughts. All right, we got some movies coming your way, and we're going to... There's not a lot of movie news this week, so we are going to keep it short and sweet. Let's get right into it. All right, let's uh, talk movies first. And the first bit of news you can consider what the fuck movie news. According to Heat Vision, Kellen Lutz, known for his work in Twilight, and Spencer Locke from Resident Evil, are set to play Tarzan and Jane in a performance capture movie aptly titled Tarzan 3D. In this particular film, Tarzan's pa- Tar- well, Tarzan's Tarzan's parents are billionaire adventurers who are killed in a plane crash. The movie's villain is going to be the CEO of Greystoke Energies, a man who took over the company from Tarzan's deceased parents. Jane will be the daughter of an African guide who is committed to the conservation and preservation of the African jungle and works with Tarzan to defeat the mercenary army of Greystoke Energies. So there you have it, folks. We are going to see Tarzan in 3D on the silver screen. In news that should come as no shock, Scarlett Johansson says that she would love to do a Black Widow solo film focusing on the character's origins. Johansson recently told the Washington Post that she would like to um, expand on the character and deal with her origins in Russia for her backstory. She said, I love her origin story. I think it's a really riveting story. It's just steeped in history and the richness to shoot in Russia, perhaps. I hope that the fans' voice is loud enough and they want to see a Widow origin story. I know Marvel would be happy to entertain it, to entertain that we've spoken a lot about it. Look, every Avenger has gotten a film in some shape, way or form. I think that the black widow character, if you do it, you definitely want to go dark just because you're dealing with assassinations, the cold war, etc. You want to give it a darker edge. Not only that, but I wouldn't necessarily make it just about black widow because they tie her origin so closely with Hawkeye, but I would definitely make it, a film that's a little that has a little less money behind it, but that you can include origins for both characters. And I don't know, have them take on AIM, which is usually the the villains for the Avengers or Hydra. And I don't know if you want to get a little crazy, throw a villain in there. I would throw in like Modok or Baron Strucker, and you know, you throw in something like that, real easy. You don't spend a lot of money, but you put in the work to really close out that aspect of the Avengers franchise because. It's true. You have established films 
for the big three. Well, for the bit, well, you know, for Iron Man and Captain America, the Hulk, while he is a member of the Avengers, the Hulk is a universe in and of itself. You know, you got all his villains, you got Planet Hulk, World War Hulk, et cetera, et cetera. So he has an established universe all his own. Black Widow, though, and Hawkeye are tied into the Avengers movies. And frankly, I would, I really thought that they would have pulled the trigger on something, even if it would have been something smaller, you know, smaller scale, but, but more intimate with, with a more deep, with a deeper story. I think that there, that there's a market for it. And if you're going to do a second Avengers film, you may want to fill in the gaps of Black Widow's story. Because honestly, most people that aren't too familiar with comics just look at her as the chick with the little guns in the Avengers. Which, you know, you really don't want that association with a character whose, whose history is so important, like Black Widow. She, her, her stories tie into not only Captain America, but Wolverine, the Avengers, Hawkeye. There, there's so many different aspects of, of her origin and her stories that tie into other members of the Marvel Universe that, it, you know, like I said, nothing too crazy, nothing expensive, but definitely elaborate on her story a bit. And with that said, it's it's a no-brainer that the Avengers was just going to rack up in the box office this weekend. And ladies and gentlemen, they did, taking in $200.3 million for the number one spot. Number two was Think Like a Man. Number three was The Hunger Games. The Lucky One was number four. The Pirates Band of Misfits was number five. The Five-Year Engagement was six. The Raven was seven. Safe was eight. Chimpanzee was nine. And The Three Stooges was ten. Now, before I move on and get into the other news, I will say I did see the Avengers. You can read the review on MyTakeRadio.com. But I, I just want to say a couple of things. The Avengers, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, you gave the Avengers five stars, blah, blah, blah. And they were questioning certain aspects of, of my logic to giving the Avengers five stars. Here's, here's, how, here's how I'd look at it. And, and, you know, you can agree, you can disagree, whatever. Like I said, feel free to call in, um, email, Twitter, whatever. Here, here's what happens. You take all these films, Thor, Captain America, both Iron Man movies, um, The Incredible Hulk, and each movie had so many aspects that were good that there were very few that were bad. Seriously, I mean, you know, you can say Liv Tyler and the Hulk was, was garbage. Okay, fine. But The Abomination was good. You can say in Iron Man 2, they kind of phoned it in with the villains. Honestly, I don't think they did. I think that, you know, Whiplash and, and even using elements of the Crimson Dynamo was cool. You had, a little, you had a little fun with that movie. Not for nothing, John Favreau said it himself. He felt that Iron Man 2 was a commercial for the Avengers. Make of that what you will. Iron Man 1, you know, going with the Iron Monger and all that, I mean, that's a, that's a good story for, for origin purposes, but, you know, you, you could have gone a little deeper. You could have you could have used the Mandarin, but like I said, whatever. Captain America, Thor, same deal. Thor especially. Kenneth Branagh did an amazing job making Thor not seem like a complete lame bitch with a hammer. So Thor was a guy that I really didn't like as a comic reader. He wasn't on the level as somebody like the Submariner, who I don't, who I hated, who I don't hate anymore because he's they've made him awesome. But the fact is that each one of those parts came together to form an excellent film. That's what happened. The Avengers isn't just uh, the, the, the measuring stick for Marvel movies. 
It is the fact that somebody was able to take all five movies. Was it five? Yeah. Two Iron Mans, a Thor, Incredible Hulk, Captain America. Yeah, they were able to take elements from all five movies, bring them together, and deliver something to an audience that was substantially enjoyable. Well-received by comic book fans and non-comic book fans. And for that, they deserve five stars. And, and they deserve that, that accolade. Sure, there were certain elements that... There were plot holes, like I said in, in my review. You know, where the fuck was Thor? How did he magically get to Earth? Did Idris Elba decide, hey, you know, I gotta go and, and help out Omar from The Wire. So, you know what, here are the keys. Go back to Earth. No. You know, that, that was a bit of a hole. You know, whatever. How did how did um Loki end up meeting the um the Chitari? How did that come to pass? How did he magically get there and they decide that he's gonna lead an army? Yeah, sure, there are little little plot holes, whatever, that, that could have been elaborated on. But you know what? The Avengers came together to do to serve one purpose. To kick a lot of ass, deliver a lot of great dialogue, and not only that, just give comic book fans something that they've wanted for a long time a a a superhero film with a team that was actually good with minimal faults you know the x-men films were good you know make of them what you will some people hated them some people didn't you know first class same thing but they were always missing something i think the avengers just brought it together and you know what it in in my opinion it's not just a gold standard for superhero team films and I only say that because Watchmen was fantastic, but it falls under a different genre. The fact is that the Avengers, they really raised the bar. And it, it's, it's concerning because you got Spider-Man coming out July 3rd, and you have the Avengers making $200 million in the first weekend of release. Spider-Man has big shoes to fill. And sure, it's a, it's a different take on the story, and there's going to be people that aren't going to like it, but... For the Avengers to come out with such a huge gate really, really, really is putting pressure on your franchise label, which is Spider-Man. As much as you want to say that it's the Avengers, no. When you think Marvel, back in the days you'd watch a Marvel cartoon, they'd show that Marvel M, the character that was sitting on that M in the three-point stance was Spider-Man. Spider-Man is and always will be Marvel Comics. And if your Avengers film outgrosses your marquee franchise then we need to go back to the fucking drawing board that's all i'm saying also this past uh this past tuesday i had the pleasure of seeing dark shadows um my review for that will be posted on mytakeradio.com dark shadows is in theaters this friday i will tell you if you're a fan of tim burton and his work with johnny depp and also danny elfman's work i recommend you check it out um if you like Johnny Depp's work in, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, Edward Scissorhands, where he just plays these really crazy, zany characters, I recommend you check it out. Uh, if you're expecting a bloody horror movie, it's not. There, there are horror elements in there. There are moments that are a little, a little cool and a little creepy, but it's really kind of a, a fish-out-of-water story more than anything else. And Johnny Depp was just fantastic. But the, the scene stealer in that film, also Helena Bonham Carter, who um, she plays the doctor. She was she was very good. So if you're going to check it out, the, use that as the criteria before you go. Um, for further details, of course, read my review on MyTakeRadio.com. 
which should be posted between later today and probably Saturday. Last but not least, um, in other superhero news, Universal Studios is in talks to do a Kick-Ass 2. The studio's in discussions with Jeff Wadlow for, to direct his own script, and their underway discussions are also underway to bring back Aaron Johnson, Chloe Moretz, and of course, uh, Christopher Mintz, Class A. So, there you go. You got McLovin, you got uh, Hit Girl, and you got Kick-Ass already locked up. The original film, of course was made by Matthew Vaughn, who actually cannot do the second one because he's working on the sequel for X-Men First Class. People feel that the mo- that, that Kick-Ass was a disappointment financially, which I don't think it was. It was just not for that market. It made $103 million worldwide and had a $28 million budget. It was definitely successful. I think that the problem is Kick-Ass falls into that same genre as Watchmen. People's interpretation of superhero films are always family-friendly, and they fail to realize that not every superhero is a fucking cupcake. There's some bad motherfuckers out there. You know, the Punisher, uh, Deadpool. There, there's so many characters that people like that they see everywhere that they think are so cool and all this shit. And they fail to realize that they are ultra violent. And that's what happened. Kick-Ass was a, a symphony of violence conducted with perfect execution, in my opinion. Watchmen also. Watchmen was was as true to the book as you can get without dragging the movie to be five hours long. I enjoyed both of them, but I also realized that they were je- they were made for my demographic. Simple as that. For, for people that like the R-rated movies, that like a little blood, that like a little gore, a little rough language, maybe some nudity, that, that's the audience that is going to watch those movies. The Scott Pilgrim audience, the audience that, that thinks that X-Men Origins Wolverine was the best Wolverine film ever, is not going to gravitate towards something like Kick-Ass 2. It's a fact. Alright. In some other box office news, The Hunger Game is the Hunger Games excuse me, is now the 13th highest grossing domestic release of all time, with $381 million. It's now past Harry Potter, The Deathly Hallows Part 2, Star Wars Episode 3, Lord of the Rings Return of the King, and Spider-Man 2. The film is going to need to make another $35 million domestically to get into the top 10. In regards to the global box office, the film's made $618 million, which puts it at number 63 in the all-time worldwide release list. In some sequel news, they got a villain finally for Fast and Furious 6. Luke Evans, who you probably saw in the in Immortals, is in negotiations to play the villain Originally, the role of the villain was supposed to go to Jason Statham, but there were some scheduling issues, allegedly, that did not allow him to do the film. Of course, Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, The Rock, and Michelle Rodriguez, and possibly Gina Carano are all involved with the film, which will be in theaters May 24th. So, um, there you go. Luke Evans will be playing the role of the villain. Honestly, I was bummed because I really wanted to see a Jason Statham fight scene with Vin Diesel and Paul Walker and possibly The Rock. Sadly, we will not get that. So, there you have it. And in some other sequel news, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Byung Hung Lee, who played uh, Storm Shadow and G.I. Joe, have joined the cast for Red 2, which is the sequel to uh, Red, which had Bruce Willis, uh, Bruce Willis, Morgan Freeman, and one other character. Shit. 
anyway, it's based off uh, DC Comics uh, about a re- retired CIA operatives who are uh, kind of called back into action to deal with some enemies and a whole bunch of other shit. I actually enjoyed Red. It, it, they had a really cool cast, and they looked like they were having fun out there. So a sequel, you know, I, 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 whether it's going to do good or not, I'd like to see it just because there's so much... There's so much you can do with that with that universe of characters. And like I said, they when you watch a film where ah Mary Louise Parker, thank you Slick. When you see a film with a, with a group of of actors and actresses that really like working together, you want to continue seeing that body of work. And a perfect example of that is the Ocean's 11 series and Ocean's 12 and whatever. Those guys while while the movies were good, you can tell that they just had fun being out there working together like that. That shit was awesome. And it made me want to watch the oceans movies because, um, they worked so well. They had such great chemistry. Ah, yes. John Malkovich. How the fuck can I forget? Thank you, slick. And, uh, you know, when you see stuff like that, you, you want to continue to see that there, there's a point though, where of course you kind of, you kind of bleed the stone dry, but you know, we're, it's not like we're going to get a red three and a red four. You never know, but I think eh, the sequel, not the worst thing in the world. And there you have it, folks. That's it. We have reached the end of the line. You've just heard My Take Radio, episode 139, for Thursday, April 10th, 2012. If you have any questions or concerns or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also call our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. Also, something that a lot of you may not have noticed, if you're on our Facebook fan page and you got any questions, you can also hit the message button and message us through the Facebook fan page. Either myself or whoever's running the fan page at that particular moment will get back to you. So you can use that as another form of communication. Of course, if social media is your thing... You can also follow us on Twitter. Just look for My Take Radio. Become a fan on Facebook. Add us to your circle on Google+. If you got any regular random questions that you want to ask, like what color shoes are you wearing, formspring.me forward slash My Take Radio is the source for that kind of stuff. Of course, make sure to get our apps for Android in the Amazon Marketplace and for iOS in iTunes. It's $1.99. You get access to 96K stereo episodes of My Take Radio and exclusive show content as well. Last but not least, you can also listen to the show on Stitcher using the free Stitcher Smart Radio app, which will allow you to listen to 96K episodes of MTR. And lastly, if you go to stitcher.com forward slash My Take and enter the My Take promo code, altogether one word, you will be eligible to win $100 courtesy of your friends here at MTR and Stitcher. And of course, if you're cheap, you can also listen to the show, Block Talk Radio, iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, Blueberry, Callisto FM, and uh, various podcatchers. So there you have it. I gotta thank our hardworking staff, as always, for all the great work they put in. Drew Gulak from CZW, uh, Mr. Miles for putting the interview together. And that's it, ladies and gents. I am out of here. I will see you guys next week. As always, Thanks for your support. Peace. Rock on, folks!
I think we're going to go out with something a little different this week. Uh, I don't even have the, the name for the track. Enjoy it. Actually, DJ Fezzik, I'm going to eat your kids from Punch-Out is the track for this week. Enjoy. <laughs> 